Today on Bread for the Broken with James Grizzle, pastor of Calvary Chapel, Galveston. He has all the key ingredients that have happened within his life to cause him to go off the deep end. And he didn't do it. And he didn't do it. I didn't have half of that stuff, and I readily jumped off the edge. I'm like, yeah, let's go for it. Rebellion, here we go. Like, I didn't have to deal with half the stuff that this guy had to deal with. But it's almost as if everything that happened in his life, he just had this focus, like we read in Genesis chapter 50 of, you know, I don't understand it, but I think God might be using this in my life for good. Sometimes what seems like a tragedy can be the very thing that God uses to help us grow the most. When we keep our eyes on Him, we remember that God must be using what we're going through for good. Today, Pastor James takes you to Genesis 37 to look at Joseph's childhood and how God was using events in his family to grow his faith. You can see that he became more blessed than his brothers over time because he was the one that remembered God day to day and didn't stray from his ways. Now here's Pastor James in the book of Genesis chapter 37 with today's edition of Bread for the Broken. Let me ask you a question. You got siblings? What's your birth order? Where do you fall in line? It says a lot about you. You know it does, right? I found this interesting article concerning what your birth order says about you. And you tell me, okay? You tell me if I'm reading your mail, so to speak. Firstborn kids, the oldest. Let's see here. If you're the oldest, you're likely a natural-born leader. Responsible, obedient, loyal. Um, There's a better chance that you're going to pursue a higher education. You're more likely to have a management-type position, like a CEO, than your younger siblings if you have them. Now, if you're an only child, you're the oldest and the youngest, okay? So that's kind of how that works, I guess. Um, You figure out where you fit within that dynamic there. But that's generally like some characteristics of older siblings. And I read that list, and I'm like, I'm the youngest of four. And I have two older brothers. My oldest brother, this absolutely describes him. I mean, they could have just been watching his life, and it's like, retired from the Air Force. He's graduated from college. He's done all that stuff. Very responsible. Way more than I'll ever be in my life. Very responsible. Always the rule follower. Just that guy, right? Not only did he follow the rules, but he tried to make us follow the rules as well, just like an older brother would do. My next oldest brother kind of fits within that same realm. Responsible. Went to trade school, started his own business, there's a CEO thing, ran his own successful heating and air business, sold it, and now he's a business coach. Again, really responsible and all that stuff, but not as responsible as the oldest brother, you know, in one sense. Maybe not so much as a rule follower as the oldest. My oldest brother probably never visited the principal's office, I don't know, but my second oldest brother lived there, okay? He lived there. This is back when you can get spankings, and he had his own paddle, okay? So it's like, that was him. Then I got a sister, and she's a girl, and so she's definitely more responsible than, than I'll ever be as well. Um, but there's a little bit more of a rebellion that kind of happens there within her life. But for the middle children, 
which is where her and my other brother would kind of fall into there. Far less likelier than their siblings to be in therapy. I don't know why that is. I'm like, wait, what's that about? Why? It doesn't really say. Peacekeeping, empathetic are some attributes about them. And that's my wife. She's the middle child and she is a peacekeeper in the house. In her family, that is just who she is to a T. I mean, that is exactly who she is. Peacekeeping, empathetic, some famous middle children, Abraham Lincoln, Bill Gates, Martin Luther King Jr. So they still can be leaders for sure, but they definitely are the ones who are trying to keep the peace within the house. Now, if you're the younger, this is me. (laughs) Okay, this is for all of us. You're more likelier to take risk, to be open to new experiences. And I'm like, yeah, just ask my wife. I will try anything and everything. Something didn't develop in my brain fully where it was like, you shouldn't do that. Normally, you grow out of that as a male, but that hasn't really happened totally yet for me. Hence, your rep as a rebel, not too much, but my sister has a tattoo. And so she's just a year older than me, but I'm like one of the only ones with tattoos. I would have more if I had more money. That's my family looks at me as somewhat rebellious. I have piercings. I've had these for like 20 years. More relaxed and easygoing. Yes, that's definitely me uh, within the family. And more likely to seek out an artistic occupation or to work in sales. And I'm like, I'm not a sales guy at all, but I love art. That's my passion, okay? So it's really funny how like this is a based on some research, obviously, just to kind of paint the picture there for us. We're dealing with a family in Genesis where especially the character we're going to be talking about. We're transitioning now for the latter part of uh, Genesis, where you got Joseph, who is like the second youngest in his family, but also the oldest in his family. You know? I mean, if you think about it, his dad has sons with Leah, and then also two maidservants. And then he has Joseph, okay, with Rachel. And Rachel was his beloved wife. And the first son of that marriage is Joseph. Okay, this all matters. You may be thinking, well, he's the 11th, he's the 11th son. Um, Well, yeah, but in Jacob's eyes, he might as well be the oldest because he's the firstborn son to his favorite wife. And that's going to make all the difference in this chapter, okay? Make all the difference in this chapter. But he's technically in the family line, he's one of the younger ones. And he's going to act like a younger one, but he also has characteristics of an older one. So what does that mean? It doesn't matter what order you were born in. Here's what matters. You will have different characteristics, and I think that naturally probably happens and all that stuff And growing up in families. Joseph is going to display characteristics of the youngest kind of son. Later on in life, he will display these characteristics of the oldest son. I mean, it's really interesting to watch how this all plays out within his life. But look at verse 1. Here's a natural transition that happens from in the book of Genesis, from the life of Jacob to the life of Joseph. It says, now Jacob dwelt in the land where his father was a stranger. Okay, his father, speaking of Isaac, but also that of Abraham as well. In the land of Canaan, this is the history of Jacob. So we see there that phrase indicates that somebody is taking over in the telling of the story, so to speak. Okay, now we know Moses is recording all this stuff, but more than likely, especially within this part, I mean, he could very well be going off of notes that Joseph himself wrote because he was in Egypt where, you know, Moses is going to be there. And so Moses is going to grow up in the same educational type system that Joseph himself is going to find himself in not too long within the story. But there's a transition that happens there. 
And that's why you go right into here. It talks about Joseph. Joseph, being 17 years old, was feeding the flock with his brothers. And the lad was with the sons of Bilhah and the sons of Zilpah, his father's wives. And Joseph brought a bad report of them to his father. So here's a 17-year-old, right, out in the field. And a lot of the thought here is, well, here he is tattling on his brothers. Maybe that's true. I don't know. I've read commentaries of guys that I respect, and they say, yeah, he's tattling. Maybe he shouldn't have told. I don't agree with that, personally. Because what I see going on here is, here's Joseph, and he's grown up in this very dysfunctional family. And you have some of these sons, his brothers, who have already had the reputation of wiping out entire villages of men, okay? His oldest brother, the oldest brother, just hooked up with his dad's other wife, remember Reuben, okay, from a couple of chapters ago? He's witnessed all this stuff, all this chaos. And so what I think is, now, is he kind of tattling? He may be. He may as well be. But I also think that he might just be looking out for the well-being of the family, because their decisions that they make obviously have an impact on the entire family. So if it's me, and you're out there in the fields, and my sons are acting like knuckleheads, doing something bad that really could cause more damage than good, yes, please come back and tell me. I don't consider that tattling. I consider that somebody's being responsible. (laughs) Somebody's actually being responsible. So sometimes the feeling is, I mean, this is going to be counted against him, obviously. This would just be one more thing to add towards their hatred of Joseph, right? But something happens in the field, and this is just painting the picture of who Joseph was. At 17 years old, he is, a, I would say, a kid of tremendous character. Tremendous character. And let's just paint the picture of that before we go any further into his life. We need to understand that we're not too far into this story. I mean, Joseph would have been old enough when they crossed over into the promised land. He would have been old enough to remember what it was like that evening his dad had separated out the family and even himself from the ones that he really cared most for. And he would know what that night was going to be like when his dad wrestled with God. He would be fully aware of the fact when he saw his dad marching back across the river Jabbok with that limp. And what do you think a kid's going to ask their dad? Dad, what happened? (laughs) What happened to your leg? Well, let me tell you the story. I wrestled with God. Those stories told by Jacob to his sons and Joseph, I think it seems to have the most impact on Joseph himself. He's planting seeds into this kid's heart. And I think character was being formed and fashioned in his life at a young age. Never forget that he was fully aware of all these things going on in his family's life. His dad wrestling, and not just the wrestling, but even with Laban chasing them and the story with Esau and the encounter that happened there and all that stuff. And he just watched his dad stress out, but then he also watched his dad be just transformed by Jesus. All this matters to Joseph. It all matters. It's all adding up. And then you're going to see, as we've just been going through the word, he's there and he's fully aware of what happened to his sister, Dinah. You know, in that terrible, tragic story. But he's also aware of what his two older brothers did. And as they went and they wiped out that village of all its men, he's been watching that happen as well. He watched his dad in his non-response to that story. But he also watched and witnessed, and I think this probably had the biggest impact on his young life, was when his dad finally stepped up and said, you know what? We're cleaning house. We're getting rid of all the idols. 
We're doing away with all that stuff, and we're going back to Bethel. I think with the wrestling with God and also that moment in Jacob's life where he says, okay, listen, guys, I'm sorry. I'm going to clean house. This is how we're going now. We're getting rid of all the idols. We're going to go back to the house of God, and we're going to worship God again. I think that had a tremendous impact in Joseph's life, personally speaking. I believe that those are things that formed and fashioned the character within his life. Because you cannot read through his story in its entirety and say, well, how does somebody like that make it? How does a 17-year-old endure all the things that he's going to go through and still have a good head on his shoulders and not go into complete rebellion, not just against God, but against his own family? How is he protected from the roots or the seeds of bitterness to take hold of his heart? He's not a perfect man. He's not a perfect man, not at all. But something had to happen within his life. Seeds were planted within his life that established that character early on. I think those were two major events, his dad wrestling with God and his dad saying, you know what, get rid of the idols, we're getting back to God. I think those were the two main events that Joseph took note of within his dad's life because he saw something beyond his dad. He saw that God is faithful that God is faithful and he is worthy to be trusted and pursued. But here's family life. Family life. His brothers are acting like knuckleheads and they're prone to do that. I mean, we've already seen that. We know this family. We know that these guys are not of good character. Not all of them. So he brings back a report that's going to cause the hatred to go up within their hearts concerning him. They're already kind of probably annoyed. I mean, there is the older brother, younger brother thing. You know how that works. If you're like the older one and you have the younger brother, you're like, come on, give me space. Get away from me. You know, they're always annoying you. I'm sure I was that pest, okay? I'm sure I was. Uh, But you also know what it's like to be the younger and the older ones are always picking on you and beating you up. That was the story of my life. It all works out, though. It all works out. But here's Joseph, now 17 years old. Here's something else that we need to take into consideration just for the full picture. It's probably at this point in time that this 17-year-old kid is still having to deal with the grief of losing his mom. Never forget that. Sometimes we just go on. You know, we read through Bible stories. It's like, I mean, that was like two chapters ago, right? So a lot's happened. Well, no. In his life, that was like yesterday. And it could have been a couple of years. But when you lose your mom at an unexpected time, in your life, because nobody was expecting her to die during childbirth. Nobody was. And for a 17-year-old kid to have lost his mom, can you imagine the heartache that he has to carry with him? And all that just makes me love this guy that much more, because he has all the key ingredients that have happened within his life to cause him to go off the deep end. And he didn't do it. And he didn't do it. I didn't have half of that stuff, and I readily jumped off the edge. I'm like, yeah, let's go for it. Rebellion. Here we go. Like, I didn't have to deal with half the stuff that this guy had to deal with. But it's almost as if everything that happened in his life, he just had this focus, like we read in Genesis chapter 50 of, you know, I don't understand it, but I think God might be using this in my life for good. He just seemed to have this character about him. There's a lot of, you know, similarities between him and Jesus and 
A lot of people would say that Joseph would be a type of Jesus, although that's never really stated in the Bible. And I know some commentators, they don't like saying that because it's never stated, but you cannot read through the story of Joseph and not see Jesus, okay? I'm sorry, but you can't see. There's so many similarities there. I mean, he's going to be despised by his brothers. Jesus himself said, I'm despised by my brothers, right? They're sold as like a slave. Jesus was himself sold out by Judas for what? The price of a slave. I mean, there's a lot of similarities there. He would be the redeemer of his family, so to speak, the redemption of not just his brothers, but an entire nation. Jesus came to do that for sure. There's a lot of similarities there, loved by his father, all that good stuff. We'll just see it as we continue on. But so that's just to kind of paint the picture of who we're dealing with. So we'll just progress through this story here. Verse 3. Now Israel, we know that Israel is Jacob. Israel loved Joseph more than all his children. That's bad, okay? I'm sorry, but wait, Jacob, didn't you experience that in your family? Wasn't that a problem in your family? Didn't your dad love your brother more than you and your mom loved you more than your brother? Oh, the apple doesn't fall too far from the tree, right? I mean, it's like we're repeating some of the same stuff. It's that favoritism thing, but we also would understand to a certain extent why he loves him more than others. Number one, he's the son of the wife that he loved, okay? I'm not saying this makes it right, but I'm just saying just so you can understand the psychological aspect of this is for Jacob, it's like, this is my firstborn son from the wife that I love more than any of these other wives. So for him, I mean, this is a big deal. And he's going to love Joseph more than all his other children. It doesn't mean he didn't love his other sons, but he loved Joseph more than them. So there is a fault there. He shouldn't have played favorites, but he did uh, because he's the son of his old age. He also made him a tunic of many colors. We all know this, Jacob and the Technicolor dream coat or whatever. That's just such an unfortunate translation. It really, it's, it has nothing to do with that. This tunic that was made for Joseph technically is just a tunic that would extend all the way to the wrist and all the way to the ankles, meaning you're white collar while your brothers are wearing tunics that only go down to maybe the elbow, maybe, and only to the knees because that's what workers wear is blue collar. And Joseph, his dad is clearly establishing him as really his successor. That's what this tunic is all about. It's Jacob saying to not just to Joseph, but to the entire family, hey, as far as birthright goes, and who's going to take my place as the spiritual leader of this family, I pick Joseph. That's what this means. So you can understand being the older brother, being like, whoa, wait a minute. It's not even like it's a Jacob and Esau where they're twins, and Jacob was born second after Esau. No, this is like, I'm the oldest. I mean, you can think of Reuben, but Reuben's disqualified. You can't sleep with one of your dad's wives and expect to be the spiritual leader of the family. Like, you're disqualified. Simeon and Levi, you wiped out an entire village of men. You're disqualified. We'll even see in Genesis 38, we're going to get a story of Judah. And Judah himself is not exactly the greatest character in the Bible either. But here is Jacob or Israel saying, Joseph, here you go. I'm placing the mantle on you in the presence of all your brothers. 
This is going to upset his brothers. Verse 4, it says, But when his brothers saw that their father loved him more than all his brothers, they hated him and could not speak peaceably to him. They wouldn't even say anything to Joseph. And whatever they did have to say to him was never nice. They didn't listen to their mom's advice of like, if you don't have anything nice to say, don't say anything at all, right? They're like, yeah, no, I'm sorry, mom. But the only thing we're ever going to say to this guy is nothing but mean things. They hated him. They despised him. Verse 5, now Joseph had a dream, and he told it to his brothers, and they hated him even more. Of course they do. Of course, Joseph, you're 17 years old. Of course they're going to hate you. Why do you think that they would appreciate you telling them this dream? It is fascinating that he is, as far as we know, one of the only sons to have some significant dreams. His dad had that dream with the ladder. It is kind of interesting to see that it's Joseph who's going to have multiple dreams. But Joseph's like really excited about this dream because he knows there's significance to it. Like God has given me a dream. Maybe share that with your dad. Don't go to your brothers. Like that's a bad idea. See, that's that whole thing where it hasn't like fully developed in the frontal part of his brain. Like, should I do this? No, that's not even working yet. He's like, hey, let me tell my brothers about this dream. They're going to hate him even more. He says to them, please hear the dream which I have dreamed. He says, there we were binding sheaves in the field, and then behold, my sheaf, this is concerning wheat, arose and also stood upright, and indeed, all your sheaves stood all around and bowed down to mine. And it's like, Joseph, buddy, not such a good judge of character. Or the right time, right place kind of a deal. It's like, no, you can't tell your brothers this dream. But I think part of it is, wait, that's not on him, the fault shouldn't be placed on Joseph. And I see that. And even in studying this, a lot of people would be like, yeah, oh, you shouldn't. Have done it. No, I'm sorry, but maybe there's a better way to do this. Maybe there is. But God has given him this dream. And it's a prophetic dream because later on, it's all going to come back. And especially dealing with wheat because there's going to be this great famine in the land. And they will come back and bow down to him. They will. God, I believe, has given him this dream. He's given them this heads up of what's to come. If you're a family focused on the Lord, this should be a cause for celebration. This should be a cause of not celebrating Joseph, but if you could take a step back and forget about the stupid tunic. Why does he have that thing on? Like, ah, just put it on my mind. I'm not worried about that. I'm not worried about the favoritism. If we could just take a step back and say, okay, what did the Lord tell you? No feelings attached. You're not going to hurt my feelings. What did he tell you? Then let's rejoice in what God has said, even though we may not understand it. That's hard because I don't act out. If I was in the same position, I'd probably be upset too because we're just normal. We're human beings, and that's how it is, right? Maybe the timing was bad. Maybe in how he did it was wrong. I don't know, but he shouldn't have to apologize for sharing what God has shown him. That's not something he's guilty of. Again, maybe his tact was off, right? Maybe he's being like the younger brother, and he's kind of rubbing it in their faces. Then that's on him. But again, he shouldn't be punished or hated because God has spoken to him through a dream. But we're dealing with a family that had a Bethel moment where they went back to the house of God, so to speak, and they got rid of their idols and worship has been established, but we're not really seeing a lot of that happen in their lives. It's like they went to church for one Sunday and thought, like, oh, that's good enough, right? Well, 
that's a good start. But following Jesus is more than just going to church on Sunday. It can't just start there and end there. It's got to be lived out. The beginning of the world has been a hotly contested topic for some time now, and the debate has caused many to dig deeper into their origin. The simplest answer is often the one that's correct. Our world and everything in it was molded and placed in its orbit by a supreme being, God. The account of this beginning and the first people to walk the earth is recorded for us in the pages of the Bible, in the book of Genesis. God's authority over nature and humankind has been evident from the start. He simply spoke and all took shape. God formed people to inhabit this beautiful planet, to care for it and for each other. Pastor James Grizzle has been taking the time to share God's plan for life from the pages of Genesis. And we hope you'll tune in again to continue the story. If you missed any part of today's message on Bread for the Broken, don't worry. You can find it now on our website, breadforthebroken.com. Listen through all of Pastor James' teachings that we've made available there, and feel free to share them with any friends or family you think would find it helpful. That website again is breadforthebroken.com. We're so glad you chose to spend time with us today, and we want you to know that we're keeping you in our prayers every time we produce another edition of this program. Each edition of Bread for the Broken is made with our listeners in mind, and we want to make sure our Creator is the first one we're all turning to. Thanks for joining us for this edition of Bread for the Broken. It's our prayer that every listener finds hope and new life in Jesus.